Welcome back, everyone, to Voices in AI. I'm here with my friend Eldad, and we have a very special, although maybe not technically current voice in AI uh, person we're talking about today, a woman named Anita Borg, uh, who did a lot of work in the computer science space back in the 90s. But there's something that we wanted to leverage her for in terms of Voices in AI, which is that there are not a lot of women or people of color in the AI space. And therefore, it's very hard to lift up those voices if they're not there. And something that we were really interested uh, in talking about Anita, although not directly related to AI in, in the current day, she was a force for bringing more voices into this space. And so we wanted early on to have an episode calling out the fact that there's not a lot of gender parity and it's also important to lift up the people who are pushing for that. I don't know, Elda, you want to tell us a little bit, give us a little background about Anita and, and who she was and why we're talking about her today? Yeah, she is a, a character and a person, very charismatic. And, and it's pretty obvious when you see some of the, the short videos, our documentaries or a lecture that she was given. I say long ago because most of her work was <laughs> about 20 years ago. Yeah, uh, more than 20 years ago. Yeah, like, unfortunately, she, she passed of brain cancer when she in 2003. But I think her story is pretty remarkable. It shows you that really anybody can get into a field and succeed. Passion, work. If you watch some of the videos, which we'll share links to at the end, it was amazing. Yeah, she really didn't plan her career in, in any sort of manner, but still succeeded to a great extent, especially in connecting people, women specifically, or more so than others, to give them just a, really a safe place to network, to be, in a sense, mentored, and to just pursue their passion, which was her time focused very much around computing. They started initially uh, around computing science, computer science, excuse me, and then expanded it into other areas so that they could attract people. But basically she's a woman who was born in 49, I think, 1949 in Chicago. Her parents were hippie-ish, as <laughs> you know, what comes out. Yeah, for uh, that period of time. Yes, yeah. The, they moved. They were in Chicago for years. They did a period of time in Europe at a young age. For her, she thinks she's around eight, eight to ten years old. They came back, and the dad didn't really enjoy being back in the U.S. I think the whole family is what comes across, but because Europe was the first time they'd seen other cultures and so forth. And sorry, I'm actually confusing that. I apologize. That was Hawaii. They moved oh. to Hawaii. <laughs> No wonder um, they didn't like it when it came back. Yeah. <laughs> or did they not like Hawaii? No, they, I don't know why they didn't end up staying in Hawaii, right? <laughs> but they, yeah, it just blew them away. They came out of pretty much a white middle-class culture and they were in a very working-class area of Hawaii. Uh, the reading that I saw, which was a video, sorry, an interview that she was given, it was a transcript of an interview, and it's one of the links. It, it was... It just blew them all away how different everything was. And, you know, you could see that that just was an eye opener for her, especially, right? That life, because she, if you see some of the documentaries about her, the people who speak about her say, what a vibrant zest for life she had. The, the things that stood out to me are some of the quick summaries people give a reflection about her. Her femininity, her, she was charismatic, an adventurer, determined to make a change. One of the women who set up the first conference with her, 
which Treyarch uh, got 500 women together, described her as a rebel, a technologist, a visionary, and obviously a, a close friend as well. And you can see it. The more you just even watch the documentaries, those words carry across. And that's why I think she's an absolutely important person that within Voices of AI gets recognized. Yeah, and in, in the speech she gave at that Grass, Grace Hopper event with all those women, she did the classic, I spent hours and months working on this speech and I'm just going to rip it up and I'm going to speak from the heart. I, I always love it when people do that. Yeah. And, and it is clear that she's super, super charismatic and fun to listen to and has a lot of things she was saying. I would say before these conversations have grown in prominence, obviously in the last yeah. 10 years or so, but she was talking about it way well before that and i think she suffered from the same thing that many other particularly women have suffered in her context of you go into these computer science spaces and it's all people who look like me and you with maybe a little bit more hair on their heads and, and it can be difficult uh, for that there's a culture that goes along with that especially in earlier periods of time and i was just so excited to see how driven she was she, i think she called it sisters the like listserv she yeah. created S-Y-S-T-E-R-S, yeah. because she, the, she was like a system engineer. The Anita B. Org, which was named shortly after, renamed to that shortly after she died, has something also called Braids, which is, again, all about bringing more people diversity in. And I think that one actually sits a bit outside of just women. And it's been something that's been noted globally around the world. If it's STEM, right, science, technology, I can't remember the E. Engineering and math. Engineering and math women and minorities are less represented. And to see these sorts of initiatives take hold, your background especially, I think, is obviously connected to this. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, I spent about six years running an initiative in Boston called BOSTEM. And the, the focus of that was to get women and children of color more into STEM and pursuing STEM degrees and jobs. And I think we saw in a lot of that, it, it, a lot of the programs that we were partnering with, a lot of things we're doing, there were not a lot of women involved in it. It was definitely mostly a boys show. And so you saw some programs specifically crop up like Girls Who Code, who are focused specifically on women. And it is super important because you do need, diversity is great once you can get there, but you do need spaces to get women particularly involved, more relevant interests that are going to be more aligned with what women are dealing with in their daily lives versus what men might be doing. Uh, I think one comment she made in one of her speeches was that access without knowing is not access. And so I think it's just, it's so important, this education piece of it and how she turned over more to the education and representation mm -hmm. piece of, so what, there's this fabulous technology that can change your life. If you don't know how to use it, then it's useless. It's a yeah. however expensive piece of garbage because you're not actually able to use it. And I think that's what's so exciting. If she were alive today and saw AI, I think she'd say a lot of the same things, which is that we need to make this as accessible to everyone as possible because it is such a game changer once you actually know how to use it. And you can use it as long as you have an internet connection, more or less, for free with a lot of these models. I, I was definitely inspired by a lot of what she was saying and how she approached this issue. And they set a goal through the uh, the, the um, foundation or institute that they created to have a 50-50 ambitious split of women and men in computer science. And I did look it up. It's only at about 20%. So 
Mm. Maybe it was uh, a little too uh, too ambitious, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think it's important to set uh, an ambitious goal like that to to push us towards more like gender and race parity in this field. Yeah, that, that video is an interesting one that you're referring to, where she gives the speech that she ripped up and, and so forth. <laughs> you, but that's after the organization's been running for a number of years. The story, the bathroom story, as she jokingly refers to it sometimes, is classic, right? So. They were, uh, she was at a conference where I think she said there's 3,000 people. Oh. Yeah, it was a massive conference right back in uh, early 90s. It might have been even as early as 87. Yeah, I, I think it was late 80s. Yeah, and she happened to be in the, the bathroom with uh, a couple other women. And they all were saying how few women there are here. And they looked at the attendee uh, list and they figured out there's only about 10%. Literally about 300. So they decided, and as they were doing this conversation, a couple of them grew to about 12 in the bathroom, right? And so they decided that they would go out and try to find all the women at the conference and invite them to do a dinner together. And from that, the sisters, S-Y-S, got started. That was basically a, uh, before even email, the interview transcript I was mentioning, she talks about it a bit more in depth. The... The only emails that most of the women had were company emails, right? Mm -hmm. And so she has created uh, that kind of reach through that. And they were really looking at tackling issues that were not highly technical, but pertain to the membership, which are all women. And its influence quickly grew. It's a a sad statement that one of the things that they got noted for was in 1990, Mattel made a Barbie that said, maths is hard, right? (laughs) Or math class is tough, something like that, right? And they instantly wrote to Mattel and got other people involved and saying, hey, yeah, that shouldn't be happening. And it got pulled. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that. The, you can just see she really had this kind of, you often say rebel and you think motorcycle rebel, which she happened to ride as well. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> but the leather jacket. Yeah. She, it wasn't, it was that kind of spirit to transform, to educate and so forth. The other one, sorry, to drone on about, but the flood over her. Yeah. But also, again, uh, one of the things that stood out to me is how she got into it all, right? Because how do you get into masses at a young age? And especially when you consider, when you learn a bit more about it. Her parents were not out of the ordinary educated or very skilled in mass themselves. The mom treated it like puzzles, right? And she just was naturally intrigued, the mother, by, oh, my kid's got homework in mass. Yeah, let me try to help. And that carryover of it's a puzzle, it's fun, it's a challenge, it's intellectually stimulating. That's what made her carry forward. And she jokes that by the time she got the calculus, mom couldn't help. But <laughs> she was still in there trying to solve puzzles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I think that's uh, a fabulous way to end today's podcast of we send out these messages to people. And one of the messages we send out is that women are not good at math and science. And it's a shame you know, to hear it. It's just hullabaloo. And, but the fact is because it's not typically being framed in a way that aligns with those interests. It is a boys club in terms of how it's framed. And so it's really important and the messages Anita and her colleagues were putting out there of, and those stories of, it is just a puzzle and who doesn't like doing puzzles? Who doesn't like that feeling when you solve 
a problem with your skills. It's one of the best feelings. So I guess that's what I would leave uh, people with, uh, even though yeah. Anita has passed and we miss her. We want to lift up her voice. And I think what she would have been saying if she were alive today as AI takes off in this space. Cool. Thanks, L. Nice. Pleasure awesome. as always. Yeah. And we'll see everyone in our next episode with someone who is alive this time. <laughs>